Are your customers the kind who politely come and go and sometimes leave you little hearts on social media? Or are they actually obsessed with what you do? The difference between an incredible brand and all the others is how they create fans. Welcome to the Brand to Fan Show, where we unpack the phenomenon of fandom and how to cultivate affinity, loyalty, and trust to build more fans so you can future-proof your business. Here's your host, Lauren Teague. Well, as we've been exploring fandom on the Brand of Fan Show, it is not lost on me that our conversations have stayed fairly one-sided about how audiences can become customers and how some of those then turn into raving loyal fans. So today we're gonna flip that script and explore fandom from the brand side. Can brands become raving loyal fans of their fans? I've invited Tracy Arrington, the Chief Experience Officer of The Next Practice, to help us look at the phenomenon of fandom through the lens of brand experience. Tracy is dynamite. She's an experienced founder and agency leader. She's the professor of practice at the University of Texas and the author of 101 Things I Learned in Advertising School. Welcome, Tracy, to the Brand Fan Show. Thank you, Lauren. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. I want to jump right into the last thing that I mentioned um, in your little intro, and that is the book. I am so curious. Why did you want to write 101 Things I Learned in Advertising School? And do you make it required reading for your capstone students at UT? I do not make it required reading. I am am a, a fan of young people making their own decisions. So if they care to purchase it, so be it. Many of them do. If they'd rather save that money for Starbucks, so be it. But the book itself was written really to help explain what the advertising industry is because we're all exposed to advertising. So we all think we understand what it is. I have comments from friends and colleagues on a weekly basis when they say, you know, I would have been a great ad man or ad woman. I could do that in a heartbeat. And I always shake my head because most people don't understand what the industry really is and how it is very much based in data and analytics. Um, it's not a creative free-for-all every day. Uh, Mad Men is, is not how the industry works right now. But it's also very challenging for small and medium-sized businesses to get access to the expertise that large enterprise-level brands can afford. So the book was really aimed at teaching young people who may be thinking about studying advertising or PR or marketing what the business is really like, how to really think. It doesn't work to write a textbook about advertising. The business moves too fast, and the publishing world does not move that that quickly. So. Um, It's not a tactical play-by-play, but it's more so teaching people how to think about how the industry works, how it thinks. So written really for young people, it ended up being very successful with small and medium-sized business owners who found the insight um, that they they didn't necessarily have from an ad agency that a, a giant brand would have access to. Yeah, like you said, it's not super technical or step-by-step, but it really unpacks the advertising environment. And for someone who is a small or medium-sized business owner, 
or even marketer, you're touching so many different things in your day-to-day that to be an ad expert, to know and understand what media buying really truly looks like or how to quote unquote be creative, that feels different. And and as a startup founder myself, I'm guilty of that, right? I, I understand enough about what I don't know. I know what I don't know. So, which is why I ask people like you to, to kind of fill in the gaps for me. So I love that you were able to create this book to, to do that, not just in service of, like you said, young people, but to anyone who's interested in, in learning more about how advertising works today. The hope is that you can read the lessons and they're meaningful to you as you read them. A year later, you read them again and they mean something different because you've had a year of experience under your belt. You've had um, new engagements, new interactions. And so you have a, a changed point of view. So even a 30-year industry veteran can read it and reflect on it as well. And it's a whole lot of fun. It gives you um, some inspiration to think on your own path and and maybe um, have some empathy for your colleagues if you are working in strategy, working in media, working creative. Sometimes if you don't understand what they do, you can't be empathetic to their process and, and how hard they're working. So hopefully bring some respect across the board in the industry too. I love that. What learning from advertising school or something that you wrote down, it might be more true or important today than ever before. When you, you know, you wrote this book five, six years ago, but when you flip through it, what is, what seems to be more true today for you? Arguably, the most important lesson in the book is that a priority does not include the word and. As we're all so busy and we're trying to accomplish so much, we have a tendency to say, I want to do this and also this and also this and also this. Well, if you don't have a true priority, you don't have a true north. And for brands and even individuals, we're all a lot more scattered than we used to be. We're so heavily digital. Uh, we're so accessible. It creates a little bit of chaos. So I think reining everything in and reminding yourself to focus on what is most important above all else. It couldn't be more true today. Um, I also love the lesson about finding people who are gaga about your brand, about going beyond a customer and putting the work in to build a relationship to get an engagement with a customer who buys something once, maybe twice, and builds enough of a relationship that you can have an advocate in them that they are actually a fan. And as we were talking about the topic for today, that's what immediately came to mind because I think inherently as human beings, we are all fans, sometimes of sports teams, sometimes of nonprofit work, sometimes of our children's lacrosse teams. But by nature, we are tribal. And we want something to be excited about, to cheer for. And in the brand environment, we have to set our expectations. Like we can't expect people to be doing cartwheels and shouting with a megaphone about their favorite toilet paper. That's <laughs> not generally a cocktail conversation. But word of mouth is still so strong. If someone is truly invested in what you're doing, that comes from a lot of work on the brand side. Um, it's not just making a great product. It is 
making a great product, but also nurturing the relationship and building an emotional connection with your audience, showing them respect, showing them that they're valued because that longevity comes from the heart, not from the wallet. Oh my gosh. I love that. That is the most quotable thing I think we've had on the podcast yet. I love that. That's so good. I think that's, you know, I, I could stop there. We could be done because I think you've said everything that I've ever wanted to say about fandom and why it's innately natural to us, you know, how it becomes, it's a tribalism thing that's like rooted in us, but also there's pieces of it that aren't natural, like the nurturing of fans and thinking beyond a transactional point. That's not natural in business necessarily. And, and there's been a lot of movement. I think certainly I'm seeing it right now. I'm seeing more books about fans and uh, community and tribes and things in the last few years than um, than maybe I did certainly when my career started. But, you know, it's really interesting to kind of unpack that and sit through like, how do we as an industry take what's inherently natural and then build upon that so we can reflect that back mm-hmm. in that way? I think that's a valid point. And I think the shift is coming from a focus on purpose. I think People on average are reflecting quite a bit on themselves, on their activities, on their investments. And we see this particularly in younger generations, but not exclusively in young people. All generations are impacted by this. People are looking for more purposeful engagements, and that extends to the brands they do business with. So as we talk about purpose, your purpose as a brand may Everyone needs to make money. If you don't make money, the revenue's not there, you don't exist. So nothing else can happen. But as we are concerned about revenue, we also have to ask ourselves as brand leaders, why? Why are we doing this? What is important? Are we serving the community? How are we serving individuals? And the customer base on average is saying that you wanting to make money brand is not good enough. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just not good enough anymore. And do you need to be a Gandhian type, pure peace and love 24 seven? No, no one has that expectation. But I think what consumers are saying back to brands is do better. Right. We will join you if you make the effort, if mm-hmm. you are going beyond the minimum. Right. I have a sign in my house because my children you know, as they've grown up, it says we do more than the minimum. And, you know, I've had people with varying viewpoints on my little sign, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you do the minimum, your days are numbered from a longevity standpoint as a brand, because people are looking to be a part of something that is motivating, that is a point of connection, that is inspiring. And I think if you are a fan, you are a fan because of connection, because of commonality, because of the opportunity to collaborate and pull in the same direction. And from a brand standpoint, you may have some some pretty varied constituents under your brand umbrella. Yeah, absolutely. Your brand umbrella. Um, so if you go hard in one direction versus another, you run the risk of alienating people. So at some point, that's a that's a tough conversation, but. Um, there are also brands that have multiple 
fan bases and constituencies under their umbrella. And that's um, a DE&I conversation, right? How are you being purposeful? Because that doesn't happen by accident. That's a lot of work. Yeah. It's funny, going back to the toilet paper um, example a little bit ago, like nobody wants, everybody's got to use it. Nobody wants their toilet paper to be uber political or uber religious or like divisive. So Mm -hmm. if you're Charmin or the brands that are, you know, uh, other toilet papers, apparently Charmin is the one that is top of mind for me today. Um, But, you know, that that's kind of like, do I care what their DEI is as much as like is two ply versus four ply, you know, like. But I also think like if I knew that they were donating or supporting a cause that I don't appreciate, then I would probably pick up the next one in the aisle if I knew that. So I think it, it kind of works for it and it, that can work against you too, your brand value piece. I think so. And, you know, as we talk about purpose, it's historically been a nice to have. Like, nah, we're a business. It's nice to have some um, good works, you know, within our walls. Increasingly, we're seeing data that shows that brands that are purpose-driven and build communities and fans, uh, fan bases, are more profitable. And in, in the case of toilet paper, to your point, nobody wants to get into a religious debate or a political debate with their toilet paper. Like, calm down, toilet paper. But think about it from a customer experience lens. Be realistic about what the expectations are, and how you could grow that relationship. Are you going to get the average consumer to engage with you, Charmin, on social media seven times a day? No, you are not. People don't speak to their immediate family seven times a day, (laughs) right? But can you be there to be, say, lightly engaging? Can you be present? Can you be available when people are adding to cart and shopping in? What does your experience look like? And it's different for different brands. It's different for different categories. Um, and I think, you know, look across the aisle to a different category and see what someone else is doing um, and get inspiration there for how you can build that connection. And for some people, it's really intense community management in the social space. For others, it's being physically out in communities and looking at Tide as an example, where they send people physically out to disaster areas to wash people's clothes um, because it's not just that their house has been destroyed by our tornado. They don't have any clothes to wear. You can't begin to rebuild if you don't have those basic blocks. Tide recognized that and created an, an experience that's meaningful. So lots of ways to go about it, but I think you don't follow the linear path. You think about what's possible steal like an artist excellent book i would recommend (laughs) make those great ideas from across the aisle and and deploy them in in your unique way you're listening to brand to fan with lauren teague more after this getting video from your phone into socials just isn't as easy as we'd like it to be that's why i've started to use pictory.ai it's a powerful ai technology that allows you to create and edit, and brand, and share incredible videos that start either with the text of a copy that you have or video from your phone or out of Zoom. I use Pictory.ai to create all of the shareable social media videos for the Brand to Fan show. I totally recommend that you try it out. 
and I've got a special link for you to do so. Go to lauren.click slash make a video and create your first shareable video on pictory.ai. That link is lauren.click slash make a video. Now back to brand to fan. Here's Lauren Teague. I imagine that being having a foot in kind of the agency world as the chief experience officer for the next practice and working with, you know, Fortune 500 companies and brands who are kind of rethinking, you know, experience and also having a foot in higher education and day-to-day contact or week-to-week contact with your students at the University of Texas. That's got to lend you a really unique perspective around the you know, what we would consider the hottest consumers. Everybody's focused on, you know, not my generation anymore. We are, we're the oldies, right? Like everybody's focused on Gen Z. So what are you learning from your students day-to-day that you're taking into your work about their attitudes towards consumerism and culture as a whole? I think my biggest takeaway in spending so much time with the up-and-coming generation is that brand loyalty has changed quite a bit. Okay. Their questions, their engagements, they just look different. They're digital natives. So they're very much aware that if they search for something or add something to cart, they will be retargeted. They see those efforts as inauthentic. Right? They see those efforts as a brand not trying very hard. And it's, it's wild to see people who have no experience in the industry, teenagers, middle school kids, they understand how the ecosystem works to a certain extent. So their expectations are a little bolder and they are much more heavily steeped in emotion, right? We look at levels of anxiety. We look at mental health um, being on the forefront today for so many. Young people are looking for a relationship from brands that is much more tied to them as a person if I've spent 30% of my income with you, Target, how do you recognize that? How do you engage with me? If I come into a store, do you understand this is not my first time here? You recognize my loyalty to you and you will give something back. It's just a very different dynamic. I think my generation, the generation before, was very transactional and very much a pick your team situation. You know, I I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, and you made a big decision, Coke or Pepsi. (laughs) Big decision, Nike or Reebok, right? And people would go to the end of the earth because of those decisions. Mm -hmm. Today, loyalty is still a thing, but it's much less so, let me make this choice because of your Super Bowl ad. Right. Right. It has to be a deeper connection. You have to be present on multiple platforms because consumers are engaged with multiple platforms and you don't get to decide which one they prioritize. You have to spend much more time on content and it needs to be more highly personalized. That personalization is the acknowledgement of the individual. Right. It's not broad strokes, brands talking at people. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also an expectation that brands be responsive, right? Yes. It's not a one-way conversation. um, And young people are not just asking for it, they're demanding it. And it's, it's a good point of view to have 
my time with my students makes me a far better industry professional. Leaps and bounds better. I teach the capstone in the, the top advertising and PR program in the world. So these are really smart kids. They have better experience than half the people in the industry through internships. They are pressing and I have to really stay on my game to stay in front of them. Um, so it keeps me young. It keeps me as relevant as I can be. But I also think the fact that I've always worked full time in industry gives students a unique perspective. Academics focus a lot on theory as they should because it's a learning environment and we need to talk about what's possible. We need to talk about the ideal. But in order for young people to get jobs and contribute on job one, day one, they need to know the realities of the industry. And it's not perfect. And there is a lot of opportunity for improvement. And I see it as really a blessing that I get to do both. And I think in both roles, I'm a stronger professional because of the other. Absolutely. And I've had the privilege and pleasure of working with you um, on some consulting projects in the past. I understand both perspectives. It's interesting what you said about like seeing ahead of some of the, the top, brightest, best students that are coming into the field. And that really does shine through for you. I love what you said about how Gen Z is like, hey, we've been here before, right? And I feel the same way. And I remember when the light went on, like, oh, if I add something to my cart and I don't check out right away because I am the world's best window shopper, even in e-commerce. So like I'll stack a cart all day long, right? I'll stack my Toms, I'll stack my public goods, like whatever it is. But then when the light goes on and you're like, oh, if I just abandon, but they know who I am, I don't have to pay full price. Mm-hmm. I can pay 10% because they're going to send me a coupon, mm-hmm. right? And, and so the game is shifting because now the newest consumers and the ones with a lot of discretionary income, certainly more than I had when I was 20 something, the game's being changed because now everybody knows the rules of the game. Obviously, brands don't love this, but do you know of a brand or an industry that is meeting consumers where they are and appreciating them for knowing the rules? You know, there's a laundry list of enterprise level brands that are doing things well. They have giant budgets to execute with top technology, right? Millions of dollars a year that most brands can afford. But I think I would point to a smaller brand that I've really been impressed with called Portland Leather Goods. Obviously, based in Portland, it's a small leather company, lots of handbags, small leather goods. Um, shoes, now hats. I saw just the other day. Small up and coming brand, very clear about their purpose, very clear about who they are as a brand. They spend a tremendous amount of time in the social space, curating a community. It's very positive. Their customer experience digitally and also in store aligns. Uh, they align with one another, which I think is one of the biggest challenges for brands. How do you get that digital experience to align with your in-person experience? Because if they're disjointed, your brand reputation is not going to be what it could be, not not by a long shot. So they really take customer experience on from a holistic standpoint. If there are you know technical issues with the website, they're communicated. 
they're addressed immediately. Um, they are present in multiple platforms because that's where their audience is present. There are communities that have been built for exchanges, for swapping to buy from one another. If someone tires of a pink handbag and they'd rather have a blue and they participate in these communities, not with a heavy hand, right? Because the communities yeah. are, are self-governed, but they are present. You know, I live in Texas to come across a, a Portland-based brand and to have them catch my attention to that point, unusual. I've been following them for months. I've purchased products from them and I look at them as a case study in how to build a brand. They're still growing. They are not, you know, Balenciaga. They're not a global powerhouse, but they are steady with their growth. They do it in a positive way. They expand their portfolio of products at a reasonable pace. And I, I think the power of it is in being respectful to the entire community. Right? There's a lot of diversity in their community and they work very hard to ensure that the conversation around their brand is very positive and they're being rewarded for it. So I would look to them as, as a great example. If you're not familiar, I would check it out. Even if you're not in the, the market for a leather handbag, I think they do a great job. Well, and they're uh, a neighbor of mine here in Oregon. So I will be sure to uh, probably swing by their offices and maybe grab something for myself. So I have an outlet store. I hear it's wonderful. All right. Well, come on up to Portland, Terese, and we will uh, we'll explore that together for sure. What other industries or what other work are you doing now to help unpack or rethink the customer experience from kind of the brand showing Karen concerns like you were just talking about? You know, are you working with anybody right now who's doing that? The next practice we do, we do work in virtually every vertical, but we do quite a bit of work in the healthcare vertical. And that's particularly meaningful to me. I've had chronic health conditions since I was seven years old. Um, so health is, is always top of mind. And I think it's top of mind for everyone at, at some point in their lives. If you're human, healthcare impacts you. From a brand standpoint, uh, one of the brands we work with right now um, is Corwell Health in Michigan. They are the largest health system in Michigan. Spectrum Health was their name in 2022. They're transitioning their brand. They are bringing other hospital systems into the fold, other entities, and they are very much prioritizing their patient experience to guide their decisioning. And healthcare is very complicated. There are lots of legal considerations as you're consolidating merging, acquiring, and even just talking to patients, right? Mm -hmm. HIPAA, customer data privacy, There's there are dozens of laws that healthcare providers have to abide by. But their team is very inspiring because they are looking at content. They're looking at the user experience. They are talking about some of the most challenging parts of our U.S. healthcare system right now. Things like virtual visits, things like access for people in rural communities to specialty care. They are really um, 
looking at how to speak to their customer base, their patient base in the most approachable way, right? Doctors, physicians sometimes get very technical, right? Physician to physician conversation is very different Mm -hmm. from those of us who are not medical professionals, right? We speak a different language. So they're looking at every part of the experience, including language, words that we use. A physician may say total joint replacement. Person on the street doesn't use that term. A person on the street says shoulder replacement, knee replacement, hip replacement. So it's small details like that that completely change how you connect with your audience, right? Speak the same language, understand me, understand how I talk and when I speak what I what I mean and what I need. And I think, you know, big decisions, small decisions, but that obsession with patient experience and patient outcomes, really, really inspiring. Healthcare is a lot of challenges. There, mm-hmm. there are a lot of things that are broken in the healthcare system. Communication is is pretty flawed. Marketing certainly um, is is flawed. And I mean, the same could be said. You can find flaws in every vertical. So I'm not picking on healthcare, but but I think the ramifications of work in that vertical are palpable, right? These are human lives and you can shorten someone's life if they do not have access to the proper care, right? If they don't have the information they need to improve their their healthcare outcomes. So it sounds a little dramatic to say this is life and death, but when you sit back and think about it, that brand experience with your hospital system, with your healthcare provider, with the clinic, with the phlebotomist who's drawing blood and, you know, it's your biggest fear. Like that, that kind of thing is what, what I would say is inspiring right now. They are, and they're doing it in a, in a different way, very positive, very patient centric. And it's really wonderful to be a part of it. You're listening to Brand to Fan with Lauren Teague. More after this. As you're out in the world listening to the Brand to Fan show, look up and start to count the number of team hats, t-shirts, pullovers, and jerseys you see. Once you start to see them, sports logos and team colors are seemingly everywhere. Well, this is exactly why I decided to build FanWagon, the web's re-commerce marketplace for buying, discovering, and reselling your sports fanware, be it vintage or just last season's jersey. FanWagon aims to serve both buyers and sellers at the intersection of sustainability and fandom and create a personalized and easy experience for second fan fashion. I'd love for you to go check it out today at fanwagn.com. That's fanwagon.com. I'll see you there. Now back to brand to fan. Here's Lauren Teague. When someone, big brand, small brand, enterprise, healthcare, higher ed, when they're looking to unpack the customer experience at that level, language, touch point, interaction, those little nuanced things, can it be done internally by the team that's internal? Or can you always make a case for you need an outside set of eyes to get away for that? I think it 
in almost every case, it has to be collaborative, internal constituents and external partners, because the point of view is different. And I think when we talk about diversity, it's not just the demographics of who's at the table. It's the professional experience. It's the vertical experience. People that have worked in a single vertical their entire career know that vertical. There is a depth there that can't be replicated. However, it also means that bad habits tend to carry forward. You tend to have blinders on when it comes to what other options are actually available uh, for problem solving. So I think assertive collaboration between the two is, I would say, 99% of the time the solution, even to just have a sounding board, even to have someone to collaborate with, to inspire. I don't publish a single article without having three or four people who do not do what I do read it. And I, I feel the same goes with any kind of customer experience work. You have to have diversity of point of view at the table. I'll also say, to flip your question, it also can't be done exclusively by an outside party. Mm -hmm. It can't be done in a vacuum. They don't know your business the way you do. Um, it, ha it has to be done collaboratively. I like that. And, and as someone who's worked both in-house and then on that consultant strategy side, you know, I understand that. I understand sometimes you need to mirror back what's happening internally to your client, but also the nuances. There's certain things that, that that outside person, it would take them years to get up to speed on what that dynamic looks like and feels like for sure. So I really have just appreciated listening to you. I think you've got, maybe this is maybe the most quotable episode of Brand of Fans show. Yet, um, because you have so many pieces. Now, I know one thing that we haven't really talked about is your data brain. Um, your left brain is so good, Tracy, and in, and you alluded it to it at the beginning that advertising is really not the Mad Men era anymore. It's really in data and analytics. Can you tell us how brands can get smarter, even small, medium brands? get smarter about the people who are their fans? Like what kind of data points would you actually look at for that? That's a complicated question. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, the answer, the short answer is that every single brand has more data than it knows it has. But almost every brand on the planet has data all over the place. Um, very rarely is data cleaned, is it structured? Is it organized? Is it usable? Because data and insights are two very different things. Who cares about data if you can't learn anything from it, right? Sure. Just an albatross around your neck. Where do you store it? I have this, this weighing on me that I know I should be using it, but I don't know how, right? Data scientists are pretty rare, like people that really PhD mathematicians, right? They're pretty rare. They're not brand marketers, right? On average. So every brand has information. Bringing it together, Google's Data Studio is a free option. Tableau is a low cost of entry. There are free or low cost trainings available to begin to learn how to work with information. But it's it does take a pointed effort to grab that information and start to bring it together. So mm -hmm. we look at Enterprise level brands sometimes have 200 different data inputs. And we look at 
information from Google Analytics, everybody with a website, not everybody has played well with Google recently, but most websites have Google Analytics or something similar installed. So you can look at your web traffic. If you have an app, there's certainly a lot of data there. Your point of sale system, your e-commerce data, any kind of CRM. If you're a Salesforce user, an Oracle user, an Adobe user, chatbot data, voice data, GPS or location data, there are certainly cameras and beacons and scanners that the average person is not aware. Uh, (laughs) But they are on every corner. There are satellites that provide a four foot by four foot look anywhere on Earth pretty easily these days. And as we're all tethered to our cell phones, there are a lot of brands and a lot of companies that are tracking where you physically are at every point. So if you are a brand, determine what you really need and why you really need it. You don't really need to know everything about everyone. There's a lot of things that aren't your business. So when you think about data, think about what you need to know, why you need to know it, how you're going to use it, how you're going to clean it and organize it, big giant bold letters, how you're going to protect it, right? Because security is should be a top concern for everyone. Absolutely. And then when you're going to get rid of it, right? You should have data governance plans, even if you're a small business. Increasingly, we're seeing customer data privacy laws initiating with GDPR in Europe, coming to California. We see it in multiple U.S. states, certainly in other regions and countries around the world, India, Australia, seeking to protect customers. Um, and that's a, that's a data challenge, right? But anywhere that you are spending money, paid media, there is an avalanche of data that kicks off. If you spend a dollar, Make sure you're grabbing that information. Any kind of paid media serves two purposes. One, to accomplish what's in front of you right now. To sell tacos, to get boats, to raise attention. But almost equally as important, it needs to teach you how to do it better next time. How to be more relevant. How to be more um, engaging, right? You may think it's fantastic, creative, and no one cares. (laughs) let your ego go because it's not about what you like or prefer. It's about what the audience responds to and finds out. So there's some humility in the, in the data conversation too. Like the data may tell you you're doing it wrong. Don't take it in a negative fashion. Say, this is something I've learned that can help me do better. That can empower me. And that's, AI doesn't work without clean data. Machine learning doesn't work without clean data. So all of the future tools and, and automations, you got to have your house in order first. So take stock, make a governance plan, ask for help. If, if you own a small business and you're like, this is just not going to happen. Yeah. I feel the same way about maintaining my car and doing my taxes. I could, <laughs> would, I don't want to. And you don't have time. So look at data in the same way. Find somebody who knows what they're doing. They could go fast and they could give you um, strong advice that could put you on the right path for using information well. I love that. Thank you so much. That was so helpful. And I'm sitting here scribbling notes on what I'm going to ask you. Because like for FanWagon, 
I know, I know the questions that the data has to answer in at what intervals, right? I want to know how I get that. That's beyond me and who's going to connect the pipes and who's going to get the data to tell me the answers to the questions I need to know about how to make a marketplace better to work for both sides. But um, so we're going to have another conversation, Jason, you and I, after, all right, after this. So the two questions that we ask everybody on the Brand of Fan Show as we wind down here uh, on this episode with Tracy Arrington, I'm at, wondering, what are you a fan of? Brand, product, people, something in that realm. What are you a fan of right now? Oh my gosh. Well, I mentioned Nike earlier. Children of the 80s and 90s had to make their choice. I've been a fan of Nike arguably my entire life. It's been interesting to see over the decades, we won't say how many, how their brand has remained consistent, but also how they have evolved. They're not a stagnant brand. They take chances. They are purpose-driven. Their culture is very unique. I have worked with them before, and I can tell you from the inside, they're very serious about their culture. And I think it shows, I think their commitment to creativity, and they're certainly a a data-informed brand. They're certainly leveraging data um, in big ways, but they have a respect for creativity and emotional connection that other brands aspire to. So, you know, as big as they are and as many people who may say Nike as well, that's that's something that I always always hold true to. Definitely an inspiration. Yeah. And when you talk about being purpose driven, you know, they're one of those brands that were purpose driven from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we can really point to them and say, this is not a 2020s thing or a 2010s thing or a new millenn- like millennials didn't make us do this. Right. Phil Knight and his team. We're always purpose-driven. And so I think that's a great example of tying that into uh, this episode, especially. Tracy, what is your favorite piece of fanware in your closet today? I brought it with me. Yay. I love it. I love it when we see them on the video of the brand of Sancho. This is a gift from my sister. We are both University of Texas alums. The hat says goodbye and good luck. And when I wear it, it's burnt orange. So in Austin, Texas, burnt orange has a clear meaning. But the phrase is something that is recognized by people of my generation who attended the University of Texas. Bill Livingston was an icon on UT's campus, um, government faculty. He had this deep, warm voice. And in the early 90s, Texas was very forward, you know, because it used to be you registered for classes at universities in person. That was the way for a hundred years. And, you know, with technology comes new opportunity. And so the University of Texas offered us the opportunity to register for classes on the phone, which wild that you don't have to go stand in line. Um, But Bill Livingston was the voice of the registration system when you registered for classes at Texas. And I would recognize his voice to this day. Um, he passed away, I believe, at the age of 93. But you you would register for classes. And at the end of every registration, he would say, goodbye and good luck. And there was just something comforting and inspiring. It was like a, it was like a hug, really. And like, I'm so glad to be 
a Longhorn. I'm so glad to be here and registering for classes, you know, over and over again. There was that recognition that it just made you smile. It just made you glad to be there. So I have plenty of hats and plenty of, of Texas gear with Longhorns and the mark on it. But this one is special because when the go-to, if you know, you know, having somebody recognize it on the streets of New York and, and stop you and, and connect with you over something that's so hyper-specific, it's there's nothing better. Talk about team, talk about fans, man, it's the best. Well, I just adore that story. And I think it puts just the best bow on this episode of Brand of Fan Show. Because when we talked to you today, Tracy, we were asking about brands falling in love and demonstrating love for their own fans. And we talked about how tribalism is natural, but nurturing the customer isn't a natural thing that businesses do yet. Even though consumers are looking for relationships from brands that are true towards who they actually are as a person and prioritizing that personalized experience for each consumer is how brands are demonstrating loyalty and trust to their fans. You mentioned that longevity is not paid with the wallet, that brands must also fall in love with their customers and demonstrate that by being purpose-driven and maximizing that across interactions wherever their audiences are present, be that online or off and all the other touch points in between. It has been such a pleasure speaking with you today, Tracy. Thanks so much for being here. You are my most favorite, Lauren Teague. It was a pleasure. Oh, you're making me blush. Well, if you are also now a fan of Tracy Arrington, if you like what you're hearing, Tracy, how do people follow you um, or follow your work? Um, You can find me on LinkedIn, um, Tracy Arrington. You can find me on Twitter, although admittedly, I have not been actively tweeting in some time, but Mm -hmm. I tend to publish... Uh, most often on LinkedIn, I do make timely updates there and and really enjoy connecting with people on that platform. That would be my recommendation. Okay, we'll put your link to LinkedIn uh, in the show notes for this episode. This is the Brand of Fan Show. It's the podcast that unpacks the phenomenon of fandom to help you build for the future by creating more fans. And if you like this episode, don't forget to share it with someone else. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your show. I am Lauren Teague, and that is Tracy Arrington, and this has been another episode of the Brand of Fan Show. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of the Brand of Fan Show. I'm your host, Lauren Teague, marketing speaker, strategist, and the founder of FanWagon. You know, it means a lot to me to spend this time with you. So if you like what you're hearing, I'd love if you could drop me a note at brandofan at teaguefc.com or message me on Instagram where I'm also teaguefc. If these brand of fan conversations resonate with you and you'd like to share this message with your audience, go to laurenteague.com to find out how I guide businesses and associations to stop chasing shiny objects and instead build for lasting affinity. The Brand Fan Show is produced by Teague FC and supported by FanWagon. Audio production is done by Brian Griggs and video editing done by Garrett Teague. Our producers are Kimberly Voorhees, Ashley Ruiz, and Carrie Hellbush. You can catch up on past episodes and guests and access bonus content by visiting brandtofan.show. Brand